Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. I still think this Manchester City side could be got at. Admittedly, they have more experience in this title race than, than Arsenal, but I'm not writing Arsenal off just yet. As someone who's who certainly was very positive that Dyche would be able to keep Everton up, there were probably more red flags in the performance against Liverpool than, than promised in, in that against Arsenal. Injuries have sort of defined in their season now and Ben Tancor's the latest. He's Apart from Harry Kane, he's been their best player this season and they will really miss him. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. I'm Dan Bardell and this is the Weekend Preview. I'm here with George Ellick, Bet365, Steve Freeth and Tim Spears. Coming up, we'll get into the relegation six-pointer between Everton and Leeds. Liverpool travel to St James's Park off the back of their Merseyside derby win. Plus Spurs look to put things right against West Ham after defeat in Milan. That's all to come here on the Weekend Preview. Morning, gents. Hope everyone's good. Steve, I understand you're going to the football tonight to sleep and you're not going to watch West Brom. <laughs> no, no, I'm doing... Uh, it's a Stoke City community big sleep out, which they do every year. The, the Stoke uh, City community do a do a great job in a, in a number of things. And uh, yes, some of the charities include the Macari Centre, actually. Lou Macari does a wonderful job with his charity here in Stoke-on-Trent as well. So I'm going along tonight to sleep out and my sponsorship page is actually on Just Given as well. Just search under Steve Freef and that's there. So it's uh, it's sleeping bag at the ready and uh, it's a great cause, the Stoke City Community Trust and the Macari Centre as well. So yeah, fingers crossed for a for a coolish night. Yeah, I did the same thing last year at Villa Park. Uh, it gets very, very cold in, in a football stadium, as you can imagine, but it's a really good thing to do. It's a really rewarding thing to do as well. shows you the conditions, the horrible conditions that, that people have to have to go through, especially, especially in these winter months. It, it's absolutely horrendous. So I wish you all the best with that tonight, Steve. Everyone else okay? Very well. Thanks, Dan. Good. Just thinking it's going to be weird for Steve to be in a stadium and not be in hospital. Yeah, that is, is, is really oh, one extreme to the that's other. That's painful. <laughs> that's painful. I'll be at Aston Villa against Arsenal Saturday at lunchtime, 12.30, maybe wishing that I'd stayed at home and stayed in bed. Although Arsenal not in the best of runs at the moment. Of course, lost to Manchester City on Wednesday night. Arsenal dominated possession and territory, but Tommy Asu's error, George, that could be one of the defining moments of their season because it, it got them off on the, on the wrong foot, really. Yeah, in a week where Pep Guardiola referenced Gerard Slip, uh, I'm not sure if, uh, if Tom, Tommy Asu's back pass will quite be as as um, transformative for Arsenal season as that was given the, you know, that we're still in mid-February, but there's no denying that that was the turning point in the game because up to that point, I was I was really surprised. On commentary, we had Clive Tilsley ask Ali McCoy if he, who he thought would have more possession and McCoy said that he reckoned Arsenal and I scoffed to those watching and said absolutely no chance. But as you say, that, that was the case. Arsenal dominated the ball. Uh, Pep came out after the game and said that his tactics in the first half, he got entirely wrong. Um, said it was horrible, did he say, um, yeah. after the game? In that sense, I think it was, you could call it luck or you could call it just bad play from Tomiyasu where just an undercut back pass. But let's give massive credit to Kevin De Bruyne for the finish because it wasn't easy what he did um, in order to lift the ball with that trajectory. It was a bit of a, an off spinner as well. It's kind of pitched outside um, the, the the right-hand post before spinning into the, to that corner. And that looked to be pretty definitive there was some controversy, obviously, with especially the first penalty, which I'm sure we'll get we'll get into. Um, but if Arsenal do fail to um, to win the league this season, uh, having been so good uh, for the most part, obviously the loss to, to Everton will 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 be a big moment. But you have to think that Tommy Asu's back pass might be a defining moment of his Arsenal career. 
Yeah, I mean, De Bruyne's got a lot in his armoury, a lot in his skill set, but I do think he, he read that superbly and, and, and the finish so quickly to think to do that is, is just majestic from him. For Man City, they'll be hoping now he, he gets somewhere near back to his best and gets a run in the same because he's been in and out and not been in the form we've seen from him in, in previous seasons. But if De Bruyne really starts to cook in the second half of the season, you think it's going to be difficult for anyone to stop Manchester City winning the league. Tim, it was irrelevant in the, in the end, kind of, but let's talk about the penalty that George alluded to. Did you think it was a pen? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think I think he's taken a shot, and the and the player has gone through him. I think I think I think we get fixated on the fact it's a goalkeeper in situations like this. But you know, the the, the player has gone through him and taken him out. And if that happens after a pass in the centre circle, then it's given as a foul. So I, I don't I don't really understand what the debate is. To be honest, it's no, I agree. With uh, you. I agree. It's it's physical contact. He's taken him out. It's it's a penalty. But yeah, as you, as as you, as you say, I'm I'm glad I'm glad that wasn't the defining moment of the game because it was it was a really good enjoyable match and you don't really want to be talking about refereeing decisions after a great game like that. I actually think more penalties should get given in in that manner and and don't actually when when goalkeepers or or even defenders actually take players out when after they've shot. I think it happens a fair, a fair bit and doesn't get given. So I thought it was quite refreshing to see that given as a pen. I, I also think that's you ask you see fans asking for consistency. And then often when these kind of, it's the same when you see a red card given for a cynical trip where there's no, there's no um, attempt to play the ball where you've got fans saying, but they're never given. The fact that they're never given in line with the rules of the game isn't a reason not to give them, you know, they should always be given as penalties. Any attempt to play the ball where the player is unsuccessful in doing so should be given as a penalty. The fact that the player has got his shot off or got his pass away is absolutely irrelevant. If anything, that makes it more of a foul because, you know, all fouls come at at that stage. So it it is, it's it's weird how so many people seem to, it it seems to really rile them up that that was given as a a pen. Uh, And also that, you know, people exaggerate there'd be two or three of those a game. I mean, there wouldn't be. That's, That's just not, that's just not true. No, I guess consistency is the big thing. I mean, this weekend I'm expecting to see every third player that goes and has a go at the ref to get. That's to only get walls. It's only walls. <laughs> the last week, that third player has got a. Got no, 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 no. Pipe down, Juan. This is absolutely scandalous. That yellow card was a disgrace. If 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 every third player doesn't get booked now when they surround the referee, I don't know how that's even happening. Makes that wolf sending off even worse. Steve, we've been doing this podcast for weeks, months this season, and every week, even though they've not been top of the league, Manchester City have been the favourites for the title. Now they've beaten Arsenal. There were actually favourites before they went into the game at at even money and eleven to ten Arsenal. So not much between them. Um, I think we've seen over recent weeks previous to that when Arsenal have been favourites that maybe it's just coincidence that they've just wobbled just a little bit and you know they've played before Arsenal, they've played before Manchester City and not been able to to get maximum points on the board. One point in, in nine, of course, now over the last three games. Of course, there's 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 a number of circumstances for that, but Manchester City are four to seven now to to win the Premier League with Arsenal at seven to four, and, and I just think it's funny how the narrative seems to have changed. It was only a couple of weeks ago where Manchester City lost to Spurs and, you know, Pep was under pressure. And now everyone kind of knew that Manchester City were going to be top of the league. Arsenal have peaked and going the other side. Manchester City course and distance winners are are peaking at the right time and they're going to go on to win the league by a number of points. I'm not sure that's the case, personally, because I, I, I still think this Manchester City side can be got at. Admittedly, they have more experience in this title race than, than Arsenal. But I'm not writing Arsenal off just yet. And at 7-4, to four, a lot of 7-4 to four chances do win. Yeah. I mean, obviously, they've got to play each other again too, which is which is huge. You know, they've only recently, obviously, this week played each other. They've got to play each other again. It must be relatively soon. April 26th, I think it, I think it is. But it's, it's, just, it's just all recency bias, isn't it? All of a sudden, Arsenal are... They're shot to bits, and, and City are coming here. They come again. They're gonna, you know, they're gonna win the league. I just, honestly, I don't. I, you know, I, I mean, Arsenal. I mean, Manchester City have only ever been as big as seven to four to win the title, regardless of them being eight points behind. So, in the model, clearly we are we have respected City for a long time. But me personally, just looking at it, I think we can. It's either half full or half empty. There's no equal measures these days. So, I, I, I'm, I still think they'll be in the title race come April the twenty sixth. The form that they go into that game and will play such a factor as it did here. I mean, you know, you talk about the defining moment, you know, Tommy Asu's pass. I guess for me, the fact that this game was originally supposed to be played on September the 15th has a, has a, has a massive bearing yeah. because, at, you know, at the t- I think Arsenal had just lost to Man United at the time, but then they went on this crazy run of, of sort of seven and eight before the World Cup and looked pretty invincible. You know, if they played Man City at that time, mm. might have been a different story. It was definitely the worst time of the season for Arsenal to play them. Um, they've been in 
really poor form last couple of weeks by their standards. Um, no party was a huge miss. No Jesus, obviously. A really weak bench, you've got to say. They didn't have many options to come on and change the game late on. So um, I think Arsenal could take heart from the fact that they sort of gave them their goals in, in, in a certain respect. Um, if Arsenal had been at their very best in this game but were just outclassed, then you might say, okay, the momentum's all cities. But the fact that it was Arsenal errors that led to it can give them heart, really, because I, th- I think they know that they're... Um, if they if they can get back, this is big Arteta's biggest test now. If he can get them back to the levels they're at, then you know there's still a title race for sure. I think it's something we're going to see change with Arsenal in the coming seasons, where you know the unpredictability of, of City have often been their downfall under Pep. And again, going into this game, you had the team news come out, and absolutely, and no one knew what formation they were going to play. With Arsenal, it, it is just plug in and play. You know, the, the squad depth isn't there. When Jesus comes out and Ketia comes in and plays his role, when Party came out here, Jorginho came in and played his role. If you can level any criticism at Arsenal, then it's very difficult to do so given, you know, you have to measure their um, performances and, and what they've done this season compared to their preseason expectations. And it's it's incredible for, for them to even be where they are in mid-February. The one criticism you could say is that maybe it's a bit predictable. You know, you know which side Martinelli is going to play. You know which side Saka is going to play. You know how they're going to look to, to press. You know how they're going to look to, to get everything through Odegaard playing at 10. And therefore, for someone like Guardiola who has a range of, of possibilities, not only in his squad, but in his mind as to what he's going to do. I'm sure that when Arsenal, bolstered by Champions League football next season, are able to recruit more depth across their side, then Arteta will have more options to, to switch it up. Because even though you know, I thought Arsenal were pretty good on the night and, and probably didn't necessarily deserve to lose, just on the balance of play beyond the um, the individual errors, there's nothing really Arteta can or will want to do in order to make them less predictable going going into the rest of the season. Yeah, Tim talks about Arsenal giving teams goals. They travelled to Villa Park this weekend, a team that <laughs> spent the last two Premier League weekends giving teams goals. Back-to-back defeats under Unai Emery for the first time. Tim, he's going to have a bit of a point to prove against Arsenal though, after the way he was let go. Yeah, it's the way it was perceived though, and he'll be fully well aware of how it was perceived. In that respect, not ideal opponents really for Arsenal this weekend. However, as you say, Dan, last two games, um, well, Man City game is is what it is. But but the the issue is the way that that Villa are conceding goals via mistakes. Uh, I'm sure Emery will be learning quite a lot from this period. You know who's capable of doing what he wants. I don't know what you're expecting in the summer, Dan, but you'd imagine you'd imagine a sort of raft of changes to kind of yeah to suit his style. So. Um, <clears throat> I don't think Villa are in any danger of going down and, you know, these next sort of two, three months are going to be massive in shaping, you know, Villa's next season. Um, like I said, who, who can do it and who can't because um, I, th- I think he's finding out there's a, there's a few at the moment that are just not reaching the standards that he's used to and will expect next season. Well, the Toro Mings isn't fit at the weekend. I think if, if I find that out before I go, I don't think I'm going to bother going because Villa have only won one game in 12 without Toro Mings. I, I could not believe... Before I, I saw the teams that, that Villa had played that Greg had wrote, I went through it myself. And I'm thinking, hold on, they lost there, they lost there, they lost... And, yeah, and all terrible. the games that you've lost with... I know he, he kind of... Does he divide opinion amongst Villa fans? I, I don't know. I, but, I don't think there's a single player at, at Villa that doesn't divide opinion the fact a, that amongst the fans. You've really. only ever won one game without him, and that was against Norwich City, the side that finished bottom of the league with 21 points that season. It's it, it, it's an astounding stat. Astounding. Sure, he, he makes mistakes. I, I, I don't dispute that for, for one second, but Villa are a far better side with Tyrone Mings at centre-back and those, the, the, that record just completely backs that up. A player who is going well for Villa at the moment, Steve, Ollie Watkins, yeah. he's scored in his last three Premier League games. Probably Villa's biggest threat right now. And I, I think, again, he gets a bit of stick from Villa fans, but I think it's completely unjustified. And he knows now, doesn't he? He's the number one. He's the he, well, you know, yeah. he's the number nine, basically. He, you know, he's the number one. There's not many options around. He, he's he's the, one of the first names on the team sheet. He's, we've always known about his energy and, and, and the way, you know, his he's, he's work rate. But his goal record, Dan, again, this is something that I checked at um, a couple of days ago. He's... he's I know he's got he's scored in each of the last three games and five goals and two assists under Emery, but it's more or less one or three a goal every three games for Villa, I think, in yeah. start. So again, that's that's a pretty good record, I would say. And, and you look around the forward players at the moment. Yeah, Bailey plays. I, we talk about divided opinion. He's so inconsistent. You'll know more than anybody. He must drive you mad being a Villa fan and, and seeing it there. He can be brilliant one day. He can be a world beater one week and a panel beater the next. You know, he'll just absolutely drive, he'll drive you mad. So. Um, would you give Duran a run at all or, or in, instead of Bailey or is he just too young or inexperienced? He looks very lively, doesn't he? He looks lively. I think 
it'll be too soon. I think he'll be used as an, as an impact sub for the foreseeable. I think you will see changes from Villa. I think McGinn will probably come back in. I think you may even see Philip Coutinho potentially come in for Bailey and Buendia moves a little bit further forward. The problem for Villa is they play two up front. They've only got two strikers in the whole squad. So that's a that's a bit of a problem. I think they have to hold Duran back really just so they've got someone to impact off the bench as, as a front man if needed. But you're right about Bailey. He's just he'll have one unbelievable game and then five or six games where he does he does drive you mad. So just consistency and that's you know that's the difference, I suppose, between top level footballers and, and middle of the road Premier League players. It is that level of consistency that they're at least a seven out of ten each week, whereas Bailey's an eight or nine one week and then a two or three the next. And that, that is the difference between some footballers. Worth saying as well, Steve didn't do any of that research for, for this podcast. He's just obsessed with Villa. He just does it in his spare time. <laughs> found out. I've been, I've, 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 I've been found out. Yeah, hands up. I, 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 I admit. Yeah. Clips in the cross. Only Watkins is there. And he nods Aston Villa into the lead. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to the Weekend Preview here on the Athletic Football Podcast. It's Everton v Leeds for us now, which is a Saturday 3 o'clock kickoff. Everton back down to earth with a bump in the Merseyside derby. We're now going to find out what the true Everton under Sean Dyche is. Is it the one who beat Arsenal, Georgia? Or is it the one who lost to Liverpool and was so poor on Monday night? Oh, who knows? It's bizarre because, you know, you would think that the game that they'd be able to to get up for would be the the Merseyside derby. You think maybe the game where Sean Dyche had been able to spend more time with his his side would be the one they'd improve for. But it was pretty weird to see their the, the way that they um, performed off the back of that incredible win against Arsenal. You know, because even though you know Arsenal's form might not be the best, and that's part of it, I definitely credit Everton with making Arsenal look as poor as they've looked this season, rather than it being a, a, an Arsenal just bad performance, which made Everton look better. Um, but against Liverpool, I thought they were just poor all over the pitch. N- no real belief, no real urgency. But from the outside looking in, it felt like a massive opportunity for the minnow of the rivals, let's say. I'm sure Everton fans weren't like that, um, to, to go to the you know the big brother and, and, and go, them, go there and, and get the three points at their place. But it, it didn't go that way at all. Maybe Sean Dyche would have learnt more from the defeat than, than the win. But... As someone who's who certainly was very positive that Dice would be able to keep Everton up, there were probably more red flags in the performance against Liverpool than than promise in, in that against Arsenal. So um, that's a long way of saying, Dan, I've got absolutely no idea. Yeah, I thought it, I, I thought you might say probably somewhere in the middle. I thought I thought you might say that. <laughs> yeah. you, you, you went the long way around to, to, to say <laughs> it. Um, Tim, this this game's actually massive. You know, whoever probably loses this will probably be the favourites to, to finish 18th. I would think, but. Lack of lack of goal scorer in in this game is, and Everton have had to turn to a, an untried Premier League kid basically in Sims on Monday because Calvert Lewin just cannot stay fit at all. Leeds have been pretty wasteful ac- across their last couple of games. Bamford's a shadow of the player he was a few years ago. Injuries seem to have really taken their toll. With him, I guess Willie Nanto is the potential match winner in this one. Why is it not on telly, Dan? That's what I want to know. Honestly, one of the biggest games of the season. I would love to watch this game, and it's just. This the way that football works in this country is just baffling. You know, what do we pay a thousand pound a season for every subscription service? 
This is a guaranteed sellout. And most Premier League games are a guaranteed sellout. You're not going to harm that yeah, by they are. it on the telly. I Especially it- after lockdown, because everyone wants to be there after they missed that, that year and a half or however long it was. Like Villa Park sold out every week. Yeah, hardly any Premier League club's going to struggle to sell out any games. It's it's a, it's really frustrating. I'd I'd love to watch this game to be honest. Um, yeah, it's it's a hard one to call. I th- I th- the, the the problem that Everton have got is, you know, last season Richarlison basically single handedly with a bit of Anthony Gordon inspired them to safety. Both those players have gone now. If Calvert Lewin is not going to be fit, which it just it just looks so unlikely for the rest of the season, certainly consistency. Who in that team has got the quality? You know, Sean Dyche can make them more organised. He can make them maybe more motivated or more disciplined. But who's going to score? They've had problems scoring goals all season, and I just look at that team: McNeil, Iwobi, Decore from midfield. Not 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 many goals there. Neil Morpé relegate to the bench behind Sims, as you say. I just. That's a ma- it's a massive concern for me. Who's who's going to inspire Everton to safety? Because you know they, they it was a, a small miracle they did it last season, but they had two very good players to help them do it, and they're both gone. Yeah, you look across Leeds, and you feel there's a bit more there, isn't there? In a, in a one-off game, it essentially does become a, a cup final. Really, you feel they've got more about them, although they struggle to hit the back of the net as well. Leeds, it all falls down when it gets to the penalty area. Steve, what, what are the relegation odds at the moment? Who's the favourite to get that that third spot? Because obviously, I presume Bournemouth and, and Southampton are the two favourites currently. Yeah, the two South Coast clubs are extremely short. With Southampton at one to five and Bournemouth at two to nine, and then. It's Everton at eleven to ten, and 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 Leeds at two to one, with with Forest just a little bit bigger at nine to four. But then you have teams like West Ham at eleven to two, who I still think will get out of it. Wolves are in good form at seven to one. Palace, Leicester, you know, Leicester are hitting form. So, like we talked about, these it's it's a massive game for for Everton and Leeds in in the relegation market. Third favourite against fourth. I just think from a managerial point of view, you know, Sean Dyche being in the dugout as a as opposed to Scabara, I think is huge. I think. It's all about Everton's home games for me. You know, Leeds, Villa, Brentford, Fulham. And the final game of the season is at home against Bournemouth. So that's absolutely huge. And Leeds away form is, is, is pretty wretched, really. They've won one away game all season and that was at Liverpool. And their next two games are huge as well. Everton and away and, and, and Southampton at home as well. So I think the managerial market is... It's a big factor in this, the fact that Daichi is there. And by the way, the Leeds managerial market has had so many favourites. Admittedly, it's been like a licence to print for bookmakers. It's been absolutely incredible. So many different gambles. Corboran, Nuno, of course. Uh, Slot, Rafa, Schroeder. (laughs) So many names, a different gamble every day. So I'll admit, I don't think we're going to lose on that market. Yeah, Neil Warnock, of course, out the, out the running for that for that job now after taking taking the Huddersfield job <laughs> mid- midweek. Tim, I'll come to you for this one because Wolves had a similar situation where they had a caretaker in charge for probably longer than they they would have wanted. In the end, I don't know whether it was by luck or judgment, they they proved right because they waited, they waited, they waited. They got Lopetegui in, and you know the Wolves aren't going to be in any trouble. I don't think that they'll move up the league and, and finish comfortably away from the relegation zone. But with Leeds now, it, it doesn't look great. Because it doesn't look like you've got a, a clear one one target that, that you wanted with Wolves. I guess it was always clear the one that they did want with Leeds. It now feels a bit scattergun. You say that, Dan, but I, I think people have forgotten that Wolves were ready to appoint Michael Beale and 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 had, and had cho- chosen true. him to be their next manager. Yeah, and true. to be honest, they got they got pretty lucky that that he that he turned them down. So no, I, I don't agree that Wolves were as sort of intelligent, you know, as as they've ended up looking really. The one thing you say about Leeds is performances have been good under Skabala. Um, they probably deserved more than the point they got from the two games against Man United. But to go into these two games against Everton and, and Southampton with sort of no plan, no, it doesn't look great. It's pretty scattergun. Approached a few managers from across Europe, not managed to get one over the line yet. So we'll see. Skabala's got a really interesting backstory, by the way. I interviewed him once when he was uh, England's futsal manager because he used to manage... Uh, was he with Max Kilman? He was with Max Kilman. So, yeah, if he, if he gets the job in the summer, expect uh, a big money bid. Uh, it'd be interesting if he, if, he, if he was to manage him in both futsal and football. But, yeah, no, I came across a very um, intelligent, astute guy. Um, yeah, there's a really good article on The Athletic about his, his very interesting sort of backstory. So, yeah, if Leeds can reproduce their Man United performances in the next two games, you'd expect they could get a four-point you know, four haul, maybe even six, really, if they start putting their chances away. But if not, yeah, they're obviously... If, if And if they lose both of them, it's it's absolutely catastrophic. So, massive week. A massive week on and off the pitch, you know, in recent history for Leeds. 
I mean, you say the performances have been good under Scabala, and I completely agree with you. And I think they were pretty good under Jesse Martin. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah. Can't, put the, can't put the ball in the back of the net. Mm. That, that's where it all falls down. Enough of that game, though. Let's look at Newcastle against Liverpool now, which is Saturday tea time. George, Newcastle are unbeaten in 17 Premier League matches. It's currently the best run in the Premier League, but they have only won once now in the last six, including drawing their last three. They have slowed down a little bit, haven't they, Newcastle, particularly in front of goal, a lot of draws. Yeah, it's similar to the run of form that we saw from them at the start of the season, where I think they only won, was it two of their first seven or eight? Um, And then they went on that incredible winning run. I mean, it's amazing to think now, sitting here, that Newcastle have only lost two games all season. And one of those was against Sheffield Wednesday in the FA Cup. They've only lost one game in the Premier League up to now. So... You know, I think if we're, if we're analysing their performance, yeah, they might not be winning games at the rate they were, but it's still an, an unbelievable job that, that Eddie Howe is doing. Yeah. Um, but the, I, I do think the, the performances themselves have maybe tailed a little bit. The one-all draw at home to West Ham was a game where West Ham maybe created the better chances in the game. West Ham obviously coming into that game struggling. And then the Bournemouth match as well, um, where despite going going behind and getting the equaliser just before half-time um, for the whole of the second half, Newcastle kind of huffed and puffed, but didn't really necessarily make their superiority look that evident uh, on the balance of play. So I think we can forgive them for that. They've got a huge game. It's hard to think of many clubs for whom a Carabao Cup final could be so important, but for Newcastle at the moment, you know, to win that would be them really announcing themselves and the, and the new era of the club by, by winning some silverware. And just fixture congestion as well in terms of the amount of games having to play with a, with a two-legged semi-final uh, against Southampton. Yeah, I think we can forgive them for this. And um, it's it's kind of, I guess, a, a, a ironic, a, a bit strange maybe that Newcastle's slight dip in form has been, been when certain key players are returning. But maybe that's a, a fitness thing. You know, I personally think that the return of, of Isak, for example, has got to be a positive. Um, so Maxman back into the side too. And with Bruno Guimaraes set to return. Is it this one? I think he's got one more to, to serve, hasn't he? Um, so he's back, back to the for cup the, final, I think. Yeah, back for the United game. There's no denying, you know, it, it's no coincidence that they've drawn two games in a row since Guimaraes was sent off because uh, he's their, their best and most important player. Yeah, massive miss. You know, we talk about party missing for Arsenal and I don't think he can be replaced in that in that Arsenal lineup like for like. I think it's probably the same with Guimaraes. Whoever they bring in isn't going to bring the same skill set that, that Guimaraes has. Tim, do you think when teams get to the Carabao Cup final or a cup final, perhaps intensity drops a little bit? Because players must worry about not, not being able to play in that game through either getting suspended or or, or getting injured. Especially how big this cup final is for Newcastle, how long it's been since they've won, won something and how well they're going in general. You know, intensity, I feel like it might dip a little. It depends what kind of player you are really, maybe in what career you've had. Carabao Cup final might not mean much to to some players and Champions League qualification might mean more to others. But I'd I'd imagine they're struggling to talk about anything else in Newcastle at the moment. So the players will be uh, fully in in that bubble. I mean, yeah, as George says, it's just an absolutely huge game. Maybe they're just levelling out a bit, Dan, to be honest. Um, They've got a few injuries. They've overperformed with the squad that they've got and the intensity's dropped a little bit. You know, Almiron stopped scoring. He's sort of levelled out from his sort of amazing run of form as well. So, you know, top four would be massive overachievement for them this season. So, yeah, they're they're way ahead of schedule. But I just hope there's not sort of big disappointment if they don't reach top four up there because, you know, there must be a realisation that surely this is... This is not their only chance. It's not a one-off. You know, they should be up there for many years to come. But, yeah, in terms of short-term... When Bruno Gomorais is back, when Callum Wills is fit, if Almiron, St Maximan, you know, back into form, then um, they'll be a very different prospect because, yeah, they just look a bit tame at the moment. And where they haven't got injuries is in defence and uh, hence why they're still so consistent there and still not getting beat. Yeah, they're drawing, they're conceding goals, but it's never more than, than one a game, is it? So they're, they're, still, they're still watertight mm. at the, the back Newcastle. Do you think Newcastle fans would rather finish top four or rather win a League Cup, Steve? League Cup, surely you've, you've, yeah, you know they've never won it. They got to the final in seventy seventy six, and it's you know nineteen fifty five. The last time they won a trophy, they yearn for a trophy. Listen, I'd love to see Albion win a trophy. You know, I've, I've never, I wasn't around in sixty eight. Unfortunately, John, Johnston's paint trophy maybe next year. No, no, no. We we haven't been in that recently, Tim. I think Wolves were, weren't they, when they were in League One? <laughs> if I remember rightly. 
Are you, a you, you, you were a favourite for that as well. Um, yeah, we were in the so, Europa League quite recently as well. Do you remember that yeah, one? Steve? Yeah, you've got me. I, there's no. <laughs> yeah, we did get to the final of the Texaco Cup in the 70s. Um, no, they definitely won a trophy, I would say. I'll give you some price examples from the last couple of seasons when Newcastle have played Liverpool at home. Last season, Newcastle were 5-1 to one to beat Liverpool at St James's. The season before, Newcastle were 10-1. to one to beat Liverpool at St James's, an absolute whopper of a price. And they're now currently six to four favourites to win at the weekend. Yes, they've raised the bar expectations, of course. Like Tim says, that they're, they're ahead of where they thought they would be. They're even money to finish in the top four. If you'd have said that to Newcastle fans at the start of the season, or anyhow, I'm pretty sure that I've bitten your hand off. Steve, you spoke earlier about recency bias. Liverpool could move within six points of the top four with a win, plus having a game in hand. On, on Newcastle, I guess that it's a really good point, the recency bias, because when Spurs beat Man City, it was like, oh, that, maybe they're not having such a bad season, you know, they're still well within, top four is well within their reach, and then they lose the, the, the next week and get abs- absolutely pummeled, and everyone's talking about how bad they are again. Now Liverpool have won a game, everyone's saying, oh, they're not too, they're not too far away. Exactly that, and how bad were Everton in that game? So let's let's look at the big picture. Let's look at their last three away games where they've conceded three goals in each of them. Let's look at their away record this season for a side of Liverpool's status is is pretty horrific, really. Admittedly, they have got players coming back, that, but they are highly rated in our model, Dan. They're still 11-4 to four to finish in the top four, which I think is very much on the short side. And likewise, Tottenham are brilliant one week and, and, and bang average the next. So they're 9-4. to four. They're just a little bit shorter than that. And with Newcastle at even money. And then you've got Brighton at six to one. I mean, you know, Brighton have games in hand as well, don't they? On, on United, Newcastle and Spurs as well. But they've dropped points recently as well. But for Brighton to be so short at six to one just goes to prove what a brilliant season they've had. And likewise, Newcastle at even money. I mean, you know, huge credit to Eddie Herring Co. George Stefan Bajetic, man of the match for Liverpool against Everton. Has he been that good or is he just doing the basics in midfield but doing them well and that's something that Liverpool haven't done all season? Yeah, I think a bit of both. I think it's easy to get carried away when you've got a young player coming into a side and looking good. But I do think he does look very, very accomplished for for an 18-year-old. Um, someone who I think the, the biggest compliment you can pay him is he seems to have that talent where when he gets on the ball, he just seems to have time. And, you know, that is the, the sign of a good technical player is when they receive the ball, they create their own space and time. And in a season where I think we've seen Fabinho be nowhere near his best, uh, Jordan Henderson as, as well hasn't been, you know, he's been such an important player in the good Liverpool sides. And I'm not sure you can say the same this season. With, with Harvey Elliott, he's a player that I absolutely adore, but whether or not he's suited to play on the right-hand side of a mid- midfield three, I think is definitely up for question. So to have this guy just step up and look like he's been there for a long time, really play in a way with a calmness beyond his years. Um, I can definitely see why, why Liverpool fans are getting excited. And I thought he, he put in his best performance so far against Everton as well, which will do no harm to his reputation. So uh, yeah, a player who I, I think it's important not to get carried away, but he, he certainly looks like a very good prospect. Yeah, and for Liverpool, the good news continues. Jota, Firmino and Van Dijk are coming back to fitness team. Are we going to see Liverpool shift through the gears and recapture some sort of form a little bit like they did a few years ago when they rescued the season to finish third? Maybe. You know, none of those players are midfielders. So, you know, as good as Biotics was the other night, that's still where they've had issues. You know, they have missed Jota, such a direct player, picks up great positions in the box, scores half chances as well, Jota, a lot of the times. Couldn't score a goal out of nothing. You know, they've really missed him. But Van Dijk's the one, really. You know, he's, he's... I still can't get over that defending against Wolves when they lost 3-0. It was, I've never seen that from, well, I've not seen that from a top team for many, many years. They just look absolutely amateurish. So um, if he's back to his best with his sort of leadership, his physicality, his aggression, it, it'll make a difference. But I'm sure we've said Liverpool are looking back to their normal selves in this podcast a couple of times this season. And then I've so, I'm sure we've also said they look absolutely abysmal and, and they're heading for the bottom half of the league table. So um, I'm not going to make a pr- prediction either way. I think Jota scored a Premier League goal for, for a very long time. I'm sure, sure I heard the other day, but I do actually think he's in Liverpool's best 11 if, if everyone's fit Jota. I think centrally, I think he, he can just, like you say, tax those half chances. He sniffs things out in, in and around the box, which I don't think anyone else does for Liverpool as well as he does. We'll finish Newcastle v Liverpool with some trivia. And during the Premier League era, eight players who have played for both Liverpool and Newcastle have appeared in League Cup final winning sides for the Reds. Who are those players and their only players who have played in the final itself? Steve, I think you've got one because you've got the shirt behind you. So you go go with that one. Yeah, I'll go with I'll go with Michael Owen, just being one. Michael Owen? 
Yeah. Tim? Uh, Ian Rush. Ian Rush, great one. That was yeah. one that, I, that I'd thought of. George? Diddy Haman. Diddy Haman. I mean, I haven't looked at the answers yet, but I'm going to assume that we, we were correct with, with all these. Andy Carroll's, Andy Carroll's mine, so we'll loop back round. So was it Steve who, who went first? Yep. John Barnes? John. Uh, no, it was my second one. John Barnes. Perhaps, I don't know. I'm going to have to get the answers up at some point. Uh, Tim? Uh, James Milner? Yep. James Milner that. sounds like yeah. it might be right. George? I don't know if this is right or not. Uh, Ginny Wijnaldum. Ginny Wijnaldum. We'll have a look. And my last one, I'm going to go, I'm going to John Joe, John Joe Shelver. He must, have, he must have played in that Cardiff Cup final. So let's have a let's have a look. I've got the answers in front of me. I'll tell you what we are out of eight. Oh dear. We are one, two, three, four, five, six, six out of eight. Yeah, that's all right. That's, that's all right. right that. So John Joe Shelby wasn't right. And there was another and, one. And Ginny. And Von Alden wasn't right, so me and George letting the let letting the side well, down. So we, we we were six from six though, which is which is yeah. just the last two were wrong. Yeah. Bella Bellamy and Enrique are the two two that we missed. <sighs> Yeah, I'd ask, I'd ask producer guy. I reckon John Joe Shelby maybe did play in that final, but I'm not. I'm not sure. I was just H- thinking of old guys, players like Barry Venison. I even had Peter, Be- Be- Peter Beasley and Mike Hooper. Remember him, the goalie? I had him written okay, down. Okay, a good goalkeeper. Yeah, from back in yeah. the day, but that uh, clearly <coughs> John Joe Shelby's never won the League Cup. I'm afraid. I was very disappointed. I thought I really thought that was a clever, clever one. I really thought I was clever there it's, with that. It's great <laughs> when someone doubles down on their wrong answer, though, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's the producer's fault, definitely. Yeah, and it's always it's always me as well. It's always me. That probably says says a lot about me. Do do think that I've got good trivia on Diva Dan. Um, there's a there's a bonus point for someone here. There's a Liverpool League Cup winning manager who's managed both in the Premier League era. Douglish. Yes, well done, Steve. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Right then, before we continue with the podcast, please remember that if you are going to have a bet this weekend, make sure that you do so responsibly. George, you've got some helpful tips on how to make sure that we do just that. Yeah, it's important to us that the listeners of this podcast are in control of their gambling. This is a podcast for those who are 18 years of age and older. Please ensure that you are only staking what you can afford to lose and do visit BeGambleAware.org for any information to ensure that you're gambling responsibly. It's on. And he finishes. West Ham carved open by Harry Kane. So Tottenham v West Ham, Sunday 4.30. And the big news coming out of Tottenham, Tim, is that Antonio Conte is going to be staying home in Italy for the time being to recover from his operation. A little strange that he came back for a couple and is now going to Italy. Then Now the timing seems a little bit off, especially after a couple of defeats as well. I mean, I've, I've still got my gallbladder. I don't know what it's like to have it removed, but I'm told it's extremely painful and that it takes several weeks to recuperate. So yes, it, it was a massive surprise to see him at Leicester last weekend. And I have to say, I'm no doctor, Dan, although my dad's a retired GP, so maybe I've picked up a bit of his knowledge, but he he just, he looked ill at Leicester last week. Like he couldn't even stand up like straight normally. He was like sort of at a bit of an angle. He he was walking around very gingerly. He couldn't really shout properly. Whenever the camera sort of zoomed in on him, he just didn't look well and everyone in the press box was saying it. So I was was surprised to see him at Leicester. In Italy, we had his uh, first press conference with him for some time and again, he just didn't see him himself. So as he he admitted during that press conference, he's come back too soon. That's the kind of guy he is. That's the guy all these managers are. They're desperate to be back in it. They hate being out of it. But yeah, under under medical orders, he's um, he's staying back in Italy. Um, I don't mean to make light of it, but but whenever he's missed a match, Spurs have won. So um, uh, they won in Marseille 
the Champions League, one of their best wins of the season. And then they beat Man City without him last week as well. So as, as far as, um, you know, what us football fans are like with our superstitions, I don't think the, the Spurs fans will be uh, too distraught that he's missing this one because, yeah, they, they could do with a win. Yeah, Athletic subscribers, make sure you're watching out for Tim's piece on the Athletic next week. What's it like to have your gallbladder removed? <laughs> I'll do anything <laughs> for journalism. That is going to be that is going to be a hell of a piece next week on, on the Athletics. Really, one that I'm, that I'm looking forward to. Steve, they were beating Milan on Tuesday, and I'm actually losing one 0 in the first leg. I don't think that's a terrible result. No, Milan are favourites to go through down at eight to fifteen with with Spurs at eleven to eight, and it wasn't the strongest Spurs side put out. I mean, Tim will vouch for that. The, you know, the midfield of, of Sar and Skip. I thought you know the little experience that they had. I think with did adequately well. Of course, I mean Son's form would would be a concern. One Premier League goal since since the World Cup, I'm sure. Richarlison must be starting in the home leg. And I felt a little bit for Fraser Forster, that you smart save originally and then just uh, beaten by the, uh, by the follow-up, really. But historically, looking at it, Spurs aren't great. They've lost six of the last seven uh, knockout matches in the Champions League. So hopefully they can, they can get back to winning ways. But it's, uh, the odds suggest that Milan are the favourites to go through. Tim, I'm guessing if Spurs had known that Hugo Lloris was going to pick up a long-term injury in January, they would have tried to bring a goalkeeper in. And I'm not knocking Fraser Forster, but he's no longer a, a top four slash Champions League level level goalkeeper. Would they have brought someone in if Lloris had got injured in January, for example? Possibly, but to be honest, given Lloris's form, it's not too much of a drop-off. Um, I don't know if that says more about Lloris or Fraser Forster, but yeah, he was he didn't have a huge amount to do in Milan in the week, but surely one of the biggest games of his career. I thought he was I thought he was pretty flawless, to be honest. You know, whereas Lloris has been dropping clangers not just in big games, which has been a, a tag associated with him for a while, but in 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 matches against teams like Aston Villa. So you know, not even not even uh, illustrious opponents. So. Um, so yeah, no, it's a good question, Dan. He's he's not not exactly an injury prone player, but yeah, maybe in hindsight they would have done. But injuries have sort of defined in their season now, and Ben Tancor's the latest. He's apart from Harry Kane, he's been their best player this season, and they will really miss him. However, anyone who saw the Milan game in midweek, and if you did, I'm surprised. I'd be surprised if he lasted till ninety minutes because it was an absolutely atrocious match. I, I just spent the whole ninety minutes looking at the fans, to be honest, in the 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 the, the Milan ultras lighting their flares and jumping up and down. That's far more entertaining. But yeah, um, Pape Sarr came in for his first ever Champions League appearance in midweek. Twenty year old Senegalese midfielder. And he absolutely, he absolutely ran the show, to be honest. Very mature performance. He's very good on the ball, good at getting forward, good in the tackle. And yeah, he was the one that was sort of um, showing his senior teammates like Kulisevsky and, and Son, you know, how it was done really. So people will see a lot of this guy in the next few weeks because uh, there's no one else to play, basically. So Yves Basuma's just had surgery, which is a massive shame for him because he's been waiting for a, a chance in the team all season, but he's out as Bentancur is out. However... Like I said, Saar, definitely one to watch. He was fantastic in San Siro and um, he'll get a chance to impress now. Well, I guess, you know, it's, it's Saar or Skip now, isn't it, George? They, they both put in, put in good games. I think Skip probably did a little bit that, that went unnoticed in that, in that Milan game. So Conte's going to have to choose one of them now to, to line up alongside Hoiberg against West Ham on Sunday. Who do you think he'll go for? Hard to say, isn't it? Um, I mean, I wonder if, first of all, do you know better than me? I mean, are we assuming that Conte is managing from his sickbed rather than, than all um, control being handed over? Yeah, he's, I mean, do, he, do we know he's, he's, he's well enough yeah. to do that. Yeah, he'll he'll be picking the team, I'm sure. I, I mean, I, I would assume it might be Skip retaining his place, um, but but we'll have to see. I mean, it, it certainly weakens Spurs. And as Tim says, with Benton Kerr's injury, especially after him scoring the opening goal in that game, you know, from, from 1-0 up, um, Benton Kerr scoring to end up losing the game 4-1 with um, the key player going off and, and having a season ended, it couldn't really have gone much worse. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for, for Spurs now, to me, it feels like it's making best out of a, out of a pretty desperate situation in terms of injuries and performance levels you know Steve said earlier they can be very good on their day or very poor on their day it feels to me at the moment like their good days are, uh, are the less frequent ones although we've seen against City what they are capable of but in terms of who comes in I mean hard to hard to say but uh, yeah either way Ben occurs a massive loss the issue, the issue is elsewhere really Son is just an empty shirt at the moment he just mm. he just looks a completely different player he doesn't look like scoring he doesn't look like completing a pass um, Kulisevsky's gone massively downhill. So yeah, they've got they've got Richarlison, 
who, as we were saying earlier, you know, dragged Everton to safety last season. Then they spent sixty million on him. He, he can barely get more than ten minutes off the bench. And then Dan Juma, who was in the Champions League eleven of the season last season, he he's he's on the bench and was sort of a late sub as well. So that's definitely the vibe from the fans is that they're desperate for those two players to get in the team because certainly Son and to a lesser extent Kulusevski are just doing nothing. You know, that's more of an issue than midfield at the moment. Yeah, and on to, on to West Ham, who I don't think they've quite turned the corner yet, but they've certainly steadied the ship. They've only lost once in the last five games, but they're still only two points above the relegation zone. Steve, their next three Premier League games read Forest at home, Brighton away, after Manchester United away in the FA Cup, and then Aston Villa at home. Will David Moyes' experience in this kind of thing, the relegation battle, be important? Because Everton used to have seasons where they'd finish top six, top seven, and then suddenly, randomly, the next season, they'd, they'd be in and around the relegation zone. So, Moyes has got experience of this kind of situation. Yeah, I think so. And it's uh, yeah settled in. Um, you look at the re- relegation rivals around them, and there's obviously uncertainty over the managerial situation, which is a huge help. I think he's tweaked the formation, playing three at the back now. So, the wing-backs of like, Sue Fowles got back into form. Emerson as well, who, who, who scored last week. I was concerned for them after the Wolves game. But he's changed formation since. And and you looked at the fixtures after the Wolves game, you think, well, Everton's going to be a tough one. Then you got Newcastle and then you got Chelsea and then you got Spurs. To take the, the points that they've done from those games, I think, is a, is a huge bonus. You get this you get this Spurs game out of the way, which you, which will be a, quite an atmosphere there as well. And I think you look at those games against Forest, Brighton and against your boys, Danny, you look at a chance for them to, to, uh, to push away from the relegation zone. They are 11-2 to get relegated. I really don't think they will. So those are our featured games to look out for this weekend with the full Premier League fixture list looking a little something like this. First up, it's Arsenal's visit to Villa Park at 12.30 on Saturday. And then there are six three o'clocks on Saturday. Brentford v Palace, Brighton take on Fulham, Chelsea Southampton, Everton against Leeds, Man City head to Nottingham Forest and Wolves welcome Bournemouth. Newcastle take on Liverpool in the tea time kickoff on Saturday with just the two games on Sunday where the first is two o'clock Manchester United against Leicester before Spurs v West Ham at 4.30. It was really difficult then not to say Manchester United against Leeds because they play each other every single week at the moment. George, City travelling to Nottingham Forest, unbeaten in the last seven at home, Nottingham Forest. Yeah, a run that stretches back in all competitions to the 16th of September when they were beaten 3-2 by Fulham. Um, in that time, they've beaten, uh, well, they've, they've drawn with Chelsea, they've beaten Spurs, they've beaten Liverpool. So, um, yeah, Nottingham Forest at home uh, look to be at the very worst in mid-table side um, and, and possibly even better than that. Really happy to see Morgan Gibbs-White coming to form now. Uh, a lot of talk when he when he went for the big money you know he's he's quite clearly proven himself to be the the best 10 at the club you know Jesse Lingard is now very much on the fringes and I think that Gibbs White um, in this kind of um, environment was uh, playing under Steve Cooper I, I think the next 12-18 months could be, could be pretty defining for his career and it wouldn't surprise me at all if um, come the summer uh, maybe there'll be talk of him getting uh, international recognition which I think would be a good thing for the for the England team as well. I think he's a great player, Morgan Gibbs. Why I completely agree with you, Tim. Would a win at home to Bournemouth pull Wolves completely out of danger? Already out of danger, Dan. Uh, well, here he is. Eight points off the top half. That's the that's the target now for the rest of the season. Honestly, the last two weeks, well, they, they don't even need eleven players, Dan. To be honest, they win win at Southampton with ten, no problem. Uh, Pedro Neto's coming back. Yeah, but that um, was to their benefit, wasn't it, Tim? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. We, all, we, all, we, all, we all know it's better to have 10 men than 11. Teams. Yeah, so, that, so that, it was a decisive moment in the game. Southampton got really nervous and yeah, that's why they won. Uh, yeah, no, uh, Lopetegui is doing a, a great job. You know, even when he's selecting the wrong 11, he's making the right subs. The bench looks great. Pedro Neto's back. Um, I don't see, even though they still haven't got a goal scorer, uh, they, they don't need one. So yeah, things things looking um, things are looking up. Top half, here we come. Can we get odds on that, Steve? Top half finish for Wolves? I don't want to talk about Wolves. Nine to one, to, <laughs> nine to one to finish in the top half, Tim. So yeah, are they? Yeah, oh, that's a. That, I think that's way too too long. The mouth is a huge chance, huge chance of that happening for, for Wolves. I, I would say they are going in the right direction. Let's move on to another game. We will do that, Steve. Manchester United taking on Leicester off the back of a trip to Barcelona. Yeah, I always remember this fixture uh, bizarrely because I remember my wife giving birth during during one of these fixtures a few years ago. So I always uh, remember this one. You, you were in corporate, of course, while she didn't. <laughs> oh, I was, well, well, yeah, I was kind of holding a hand from corporate. Yeah, exactly that. Um, listen, you know, Leicester over the last couple of games, Dan, as you'd have seen, one of the games, you know, of um, eight, eight goals in the two games is brilliant for them. They were six to four to be relegated. They're now 
double figures. And I'll fancy the chances, the, the way that, A, the energy that Manchester United put in the game against Barcelona and the fact that, you know, James Madison is back in sparkling form now, isn't he? He's, there was an article in The Athletic um, about him maturing his leadership qualities as well. So Leicester look in a decent place. I know you could say recency bias, which is the key word, of course, the, the, the key expression that we've used big, a lot. Big on this podcast. Big, on this, big podcast, on this podcast. Yes. So maybe not get too carried away. But and from a personal point of view, I'd like to see how Harry Suter does because he's a great lad and uh, I, I wish him all the best at his Leicester career. But a big chance for Leicester to move further up the table, I would say. And staying with you, Steve, before we go, it's time for the six scores challenge. Again, cards on the table. I completely forgot to do it last week. You sent me the message too early because I think oh, I've, okay. got, I've got 24 hours to do that and then I, and then I never do it. How did, how, did we, how did we do? How did, how did the general public do? Uh, not great because it was um, some, some surprise results. But we had a number of winners in midweek with the four scores challenge in the, in the Champions League. But this, of course, is the six scores challenge in the Premier League with a million pound up for grabs in the free-to-play game. Georgie, I'm going to start with you. Chelsea versus Southampton. Uh, 3-0 to Chelsea. Graham Potter in a job there for another week. Um, Well, I think it's coming. I I think they've been... I mean, I know the Chelsea fans are unhappy, but I think they've been way, way better in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, Everton leads. 1-0. Okay. Daniel, Forest, Man City. 2-0 to Man City. And Newcastle versus Liverpool. 1-0 to Liverpool. Okay. Tim, we've got Manchester United versus Leicester. Uh, 2 0 United. And Spurs versus West Ham. Uh, 2 1 to West Ham. What? Did I hear that right? 2 1 to. Okay. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> 2 1 to West Ham. Okay. Tim not wanting us to be, to be millionaires is the last, <laughs> the last thing he wants. <laughs> no, Tim already is. Don't worry about that. Okay. That's why. Cheers, That's guys. Why. Thanks very much, Steve. That's it from us here at the Weekend Preview. Enjoyed that this week. I mean, I always enjoy it, but I particularly in- enjoyed it this week. Trappers is going to be back on Monday here on the Athletic Football Podcast. So until then, enjoy your weekend, enjoy all the football, and thanks for listening. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.